I'm Kevin Lewi Green, and this is the Quiet As It's Kept podcast. I'm inviting you to join me on a journey as my dance company creates a new work exploring sexual trauma through the lens of Southern Blackness. Today, I will be looking back on my own experiences that led me to create Tecmoje and Quiet As It's Kept. And then my fellow company member, Terrell Williams, will be joining us to talk about the experience of being a Black artist in our region of the Coastal South. I'm so excited for you to hear it. So let's get into it. Ever since I was five, I knew that I was going to do something in entertainment. At one point, I considered law, but I chose the School of the Arts. <laughs> and people always gave me the hardest time for that because they didn't understand what it was I wanted for my life. You know, everyone dreams of going to some big city and making it and, and being a star. But I would be wrong to not acknowledge that my course of action changed my senior year of college after my father died. And honestly, I don't think I could have survived my time at the School of the Arts without my family. I came from a place that no one really cared about. They saw me as not worthy of being at the school, and I didn't feel it sometimes because, no, I didn't train since I was two. You know, I came in not knowing anything, and I remember being told all kinds of things like, you're not going to make it. No one wants to see a chocolate chunk on stage. And even though I was very skinny, I look back at the pictures now and I'm like, why was no one telling me that I needed to eat? <laughs> they told me I was too big. They did the fat pinch test monthly. And I know no one does this in college, but every other weekend I would drive home. This is one of the things that I regret. It was after Christmas. I went back and my father was somewhere. I don't remember where. And it was time for me to go back to school. I tried to wait him out and he wasn't there, but I had to get back because it was going to be too late. So I left. And then I remember about a week later, I called them complaining because we had an emerging choreographer showing and the teachers were just absolutely digging into me about my piece so far. And it was because I hadn't done much on it because everything was just happening. Like my nephew was just born and my godmother had just died. It was just like a lot going on over the break. So I came back with a very distracted mind. And he and my mother had gone to my grandmother's birthday party in Virginia. And I normally called my mother often. So I called her and I told her, I was like, this is just awful. This is terrible. They're being rude to me. And then I was like, can I speak to daddy? So then I spoke to my dad and he was like, you know, you just got to keep pushing. And I remember I said, I love you, daddy. 
And he said, I love you too, son. Which was so strange because I had never really said it on the phone. About two days later, I wake up and my phone has just been ringing off the hook. I didn't know because it was on silent. I put my phone on silent when I sleep. And I check one of the voicemails and it's my old course teacher. And she said, Kevin, I'm sorry to hear about your father. He was a great. And I hung up quickly because I was like, what does that mean? And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to call home. So I called home. It rings and it rings and it rings and it rings. And my aunt answers the phone. It's very strange for my aunt to be there because she just never really came to visit. And I say, can I speak to my mother, please? And so she says, hold on. And it takes my mother five minutes to get to the phone. So at this point, my heart has dropped. And my mom gets on the phone and she's got this voice of like forced happiness. She's like, hey, how are you? I was like, I'm fine. I heard something about dad. And then she breaks down and starts crying and says, who told you? And the phone drops. And so then I'm in a panic, like running around the apartment, trying to gather my things. And she calls my roommate and says, take his keys. Because my brother was on the way. I was gone for about two weeks. And so after that, I came back to try and rectify my grades. But I went home every weekend after my father died. Literally, like clockwork. I felt like home had been fractured and that I needed to go and hold space to make sure that my mother was okay. But then also, in being here, I looked around and I had a reckoning and I said, there are no spaces for Black artists. And then I started remembering all of the reasons why I wanted to get out. And I took those negatives and I flipped them in a way so that wouldn't be the story for someone who is up and coming, who maybe wants to be in the arts. And I remember during my time in college, when I would come back, I would stage a musical every summer. That was my only way of connecting back to the arts community. Many people ask why I started Technology. And my first response is always that it was a rebellion. And the reason why I choose to say that it was a rebellion is because growing up in this area, there were no Black-led arts organizations. And so in response to not feeling like I had an artistic space to call home, my mother and I decided that it was important to create one. And so we formed Tech Boger Dance and Theater Company. And we've been very much dedicated to providing an outlet and support for Black artists. Tech Moget is a true representation of Black community in the South. It involves everyone. It's not limited to people who just have traditional training. So that way it is a very inclusive environment where everyone feels safe. 
and heard when it comes to the world of philanthropy and the existing world of dance. They may not find the work to be, in their terms, elite, but it means something to the region I'm from. Because, you know, people look at it and they go, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's fine, but it's not Sidra Bell. You know, but they don't understand that it's reflective of dance forms that come from this area. And we're trying to get our stories heard everywhere. As Tecmoje continues to navigate our creative process, it's my hope that you will continue along with us on this journey as we continue to uplift the stories of people in rural communities of the South through the lens of Southern Blackness. We are here with Terrell Williams, my dear friend and a longtime member of Technoje's company, to talk about our work in the South and how it informs the making of Quiet as it's kept. Terrell, what does Technoje represent here in coastal Carolina? Technoje represents a lot of aspects of the Black community. We have mothers, we have fathers, we have children who are interested in the arts, but they're also interested in the sciences, politics. We are the Black community representatively. There's no singular facet of what we have there. We have gays, we have lesbian members, gang members, there's no monolith of what Tecmoje is. We are a community. So with us being a community, we all look different. We all have different backgrounds. So that makes it so much better. It's not one idea. We also have community leaders on the other side of it. So we, yes, we have the queer community. But the beautiful thing about Tecmoje is you also have the spiritual community and you have all of these things all together in one place and nobody's passing judgment on anyone. We all just live up under the Black experience. The Black community has their own stage. We can protect ourselves and do our own stuff also. You know, we, we do it on our grounds wherever we want to. So as militia, we can get together, you know, we can put our own art out there, our own performances and stuff. And I will put it out there that we have been at war for a very long time. <laughs> Not because we have done anything that created a conflict, but simply because we exist. When the underlying statement is, why why do y'all need to do it? So-and-so is doing it also. Why don't you just join with them? Well, so-and-so is a white company that is telling the story from their perspective, not ours. So this is why we have to do it our way. We're fighting our own battles when it comes to getting our own voice seen in our work and seen in front of us and on stages. I want to be able to see little Terrell's look up on stage and see a stage full of people that look just like them and say, I can do that too. The arts in the South 
is about the commodities of black bodies after a while. It's not about what our talent is and us having intellectual output. It's what we can do for a lot of people. We are only the parts to make a big story. Well, screw that. We're tired of being told this is how a black person performs. Are you sure this is real? Do you know what my reel is? Have you seen my reel? So it's it's a lot of that performance in a space that you can't really control. You have no say over. And so it's nice to be able to say, we don't need your input. This is not what our dance is. Just because you say it's this way doesn't mean that's how we perform it or put it out. We don't have to do things that way anymore. We're tired of doing things that way because at the end of it, we don't feel fulfilled. We actually just feel like we're doing someone else's crap. That's what Tecmoj does in this area. August Wilson said it best. He said that whites have traditionally been the gatekeepers of Black experience. And there's a lot to be said about that. You know, before we, Donna Green and I, started Tecmoje, the only way a Black performer could do that was through a white-led institution. That experience, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, is very tiring because when you have suggestions about the way you embody what it is they're asking, they tell you you're wrong, but you know authentically that you are correct because your experience is not theirs. And so because we choose to do what we do from our authentic understanding of our culture, both on and off stage, we struggle and we're told that our choices are not correct, which makes absolutely (laughs) no sense to me, especially when it's a person who does not live the life that I live and does not look like me. And that also leads to other identity issues within the performer themselves as a performer of color. Then we have to deal with our own community turning around and looking at us and saying, are you black? We've been trained that our response to how things is, isn't natural. So we have to pick a white director's perspective, a white choreographer's perspective. But then when we try to go back to our own community using the same tools we learned in theirs, we're not black enough. So it's like a double-edged sword. We don't, we don't need anyone to tell us how it is to be black because there's no monolith, no single ideal of what it is to be a black person. What my blackness is does not affect your blackness or your whiteness as long as you allow me to be me. And that's all Tech Moje is saying. We just want to be us. It's okay if it doesn't match what you live or how you do things. This is how we do it. And other people may see our ideas and ideals as being hackneyed. But clearly, it has to be because people still don't get it. And so until they get it, 
You're going to have to hear it over and over. One of the ironies about being a Black dance company in the South is that many of the spaces that you can perform in have been built by enslaved people, however, are difficult to get into. I've worked for years doing theater, but I've done it in a very, very white establishment, Thalian Hall, which was also built by enslaved people, which was also another space and a stage for them to do atrocious things to the Black community in this area. It was also the actual speech space for the speech that led to the 1898 riots and coup, um, which actually emptied out a lot of African-American citizens in this area from a totally biracial government that actually had been voted in. And so we are still living with the oppression of that being held down. Not to mention that Wilmington has Black taxpayers who pay to keep that building. Mm -hmm. If you would have asked me a few years ago, I would tell you that my greatest fear is that people won't accept it or I'll, I'll do something wrong. But now, as I've grown in my artistry, it's okay if everybody doesn't like everything about it because it means that it was authentic and it brought up something for some people. And so whether they leave with the positive reaction or a negative reaction, at least there's a conversation being started of some sort. And it got people to take a moment and and experience something that is a part of the human condition. On that same note, I fear that the person who it is for because there's no specific person, but the people that it is for, they don't get to see it. So this is why we keep pushing and pushing and pushing because we're trying to get healing for those people. But we also are trying to tell our own personal stories. We're not gonna get everyone riled up about certain things, but we will be able to tell things from our own side and our own perspective with our own passion. Just give us the chance and the space to do it. Terrell, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Quiet As It's Kept. Thank you to Terrell for sharing his wisdom with us and really getting to the heart of some of the issues we are facing as a community of Black artists. Next time, we will explore Technoje's dance aesthetic a bit deeper. And then I will be joined by my colleague and acclaimed dance scholar, Thomas DeFrance, to talk about the power that dance has to educate and spread awareness. Our episodes were produced by Joey Lieberman and Nick Saberla. Quiet As It's Kept is a production of the nonprofit Arts and Education Center, Narrative Arts. You can learn more about our work at narrativearts.org. You can also learn more about Technoje and our work at technoje.org. That is... T-E-C-H-M-O-J-A dot org.